much, team. I appreciate you all leading us. And if you have your Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 4. So if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 4. And uh, we're going to be walking through verses uh, 32 and then going into chapter 5. And so as you're turning there, uh, a couple years ago, my dad invited us to spend a few days with him over in Branson, Missouri. Uh, it's a beautiful place over there. The mounds are beautiful. Table Rock Lake is beautiful. Bass Pro Shops is beautiful. Like all that over there is, is beautiful. Uh, and Branson, if you've been there, is also kind of famous for all of its entertainment, all of its shows. And so uh, this has been several years ago, but uh, my dad had like a timeshare thing. And so we went and stayed with him at this at the, the place there. And they actually had a show that they brought into the resort where we were at and did uh, did a show. And so we went and it was great. They had uh, they had, I, I remember the Elvis guy. He's the main one I remember, but there was a Johnny Cash guy. And there were several men, women that would come in and they would dress up like these famous people and they would sing these famous songs and they would kind of have the whole like mannerisms of the famous people. And, and at the end of the day, like the whole show was about these people impersonating these other people. And that at the end of the day, they would go home and they would take the outfit off or, or take the makeup off. And it was the real them. It was the real them. And, and today, as we, as we look at this text, as we walk through this word, um, today, that's what, that's what we really want to get to. Is we want to we get to the real us. The real us. We're going to talk a little bit about character. Character. God cares about character more than gifting. Character is, uh, it's the real us. It's been described as who we are when no one else is looking. James Merritt wrote a book called Character Still Counts. And he says, character is the impression that your life leaves on others. That a lot of people confuse character with reputation. But the two are cousins rather than twins. Reputation is what other people think you are. Character is what God knows you are. Reputation is what people perceive on the outside. Character is what you know is true on the inside. God cares about our character. Um, Dwight Moody was a famous evangelist back in the, the, the 19th century. And he, he, he had this quote that he would often cling to. He said this, he said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. And so as we look at this text, is that, that by God's grace, here we are, like we're all unfinished people, right? But, but we bring our hearts before the Lord and just pray that the Holy Spirit would shine His light into every corner of our hearts, every corner of our minds, and that God would teach us today and encourage us from the Scriptures. Before we jump right in, a little bit of context as what has just happened. Peter and John were just part of an incredible miracle that by faith, Peter grabs a hold of a man who had been lame for 40 years. Lifeless legs had been carried to the temple day after day. 
And by faith, Peter reaches down and says, silver and gold I don't have. He was a beggar. He said, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And the brother stood up. And he, he, he was leaping and he was praising. Uh, he was clinging to Peter and John as they went in the temple. Can you imagine all the people there on the temple mount that morning? Or that day, whatever time of day it was. And they see this man that they have maybe walked past day after day after day. And, and so Peter sees what's happening. And, and he sees what's going on. And he sees this as an opportunity to preach Jesus. And that's exactly what he does. He preaches the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible says 5,000 men were saved on that day. Thousands. Thousands. The, the Sanhedrin is, is like the Jewish Supreme Court. They see what's going on. They see the ruckus. They see all this, this, uh, this crowd gathering. They don't like what they're hearing. The Sanhedrin was made up of kind of two sects of Judaism. You had the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were, were kind of like the over temple operations, kind of in charge of everything that's going on. And, and ultimately, they had nothing to charge them with, so they basically had detained them and said, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. And so, so they, 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 they got rid of them, essentially, and the Bible says in Acts 4 that they ran and caught up with their friends, and that together they lifted up in unity this prayer to the Lord. Acts 4.24, Sovereign Lord, you're the maker of heaven, you're the maker of earth, you're the maker of seas, everything in it. And what do they pray for? They pray for more boldness. They pray for more courage. They pray for more. They pray for God to keep it going. <laughs> that God would change lives and work. And so here they are, and this has all just kind of happened. And verse 32 of, of chapter 4 says this in Acts. says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them. Brought the needs of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now this is almost an echo of Acts chapter 2. Where it talks about how the disciples were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The word of God. They were devoted to fellowship. To the breaking of bread of prayers. The Bible says back in Acts 2, 44 and 45, that all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were a, a people that were marked by sacrifice and marked by generosity. And this has always been the mark of God's people because we serve a generous God. As you look in the Old Testament, uh, obviously the, those uh, Old Testament saints, the people of God, lived under law. And there was actually law that, that, that would command them that they would give a tenth of what they have to the work of the Lord. This is where we get the term a tithe. It means a tenth. And, and as we head into the New Testament, we're not under law, but we're under grace. Praise God for that. And so it's as a result of his grace that we, we give as the Lord lays on our heart. 
that, that all believers would, would, would agree. I've never met one that didn't. That the tenth is a great baseline. But we give in response in an act of worship to God. That he's a generous God. And so we would be a generous people. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so giving is an act of worship. It's with joy. It's with joy. And so this early church, that they would, they would be sensitive to the needs around them, they would have compassion, that these people had a genuine concern for those around them and the needs around them. Because there is a massive reduction in force that has just happened on the temple. Because if you'll re remember Peter and John preaching Jesus, 5,000 people. There in Jerusalem, a lot of those people would have been employed by the temple. This is where they would work. This is where they would serve. This is where they would make a living. But the Sadducees, in response to... Uh, being anti-Jesus, anti-gospel, guess what? Those people lost their jobs. And so in an instant, you have all of this great need that's happening all around them. Even Paul in his missionary journeys, he would go around and he would take a collection for the saints in Jerusalem because they were impoverished. And so there was great need. And so we see this backdrop of generosity in the early church and it's against the backdrop of this generosity that we are going to see two very contrasting testimonies. And before we ever get started, and I'll probably say this even a couple times, what we're about to get into and read through and, 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 and grow through, this is not about a dollar amount. This is about character. And so we're going to see two very contrasting testimonies of character because character counts. God cares about our character. Look at, we're going to look at verse 32 through 31 uh, and continuing into 36 here. But it's the great blessing of integrity. This is what we see. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the first time that we're introduced to Barnabas, the great encourager of Scripture. We all need a Barnabas in our lives. Barnabas, uh, this is the first time we're introduced to him. Dr. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he loves him some Barnabas. He, he mentions his name about 23 times in this book of Acts. And we learn here that his legal name was Joseph. Some translations say Joseph. And so I... You know, we don't know for sure, but the apostles decided to give him a nickname. They decided to get it. Maybe you're in the room today listening. You have a nickname. Somebody called you something somewhere along the way. It's stuck. And that's what people call you. I've called J-Rod all my life, ever since I was little. And, and just like, that just stays with you. Well, well they saw Joseph and they're like, we're, gonna give you, we're giving you a new name. Your name is Barnabas, son of encouragement. And, and why, I don't know. They may have seen Jesus' model. Jesus would change folks' names. You got Simon. There's no longer Simon. His name is Peter, which means little pebble. And so from, from hearing to rock, or like James and John are the sons of thunder. 
And so you got that nickname, and so here they are. They, they see Barnabas, they see his life. They say you're the son of encouragement. In this book of Acts, as we'll see, Barnabas was one who invested in those younger than he was. That he had a joyful heart. That along the way he would encourage the young church. He would encourage those in the faith to continue following hard after Jesus. Everything we see indicates he was a humble person. He was reliable. He was trustworthy. That he was patient with people. People who didn't have it all together. Experienced that patience with others. And here in this text we see his generosity. So here's Barnabas, a heart that has been radically saved by the grace of God, experienced the forgiveness that is found in God, a relationship with Jesus Christ. While he's in Jerusalem, he sees there's a need. He has some land in Cyprus. He sells this land. He evidently didn't have a need for it. And he brings it and he lays it at the apostles' feet because he is sensitive to the needs that are all around them. Barnabas is a cheerful giver. He is marked by faithfulness. He's marked by joy. And this brother just lived a consistent life of honoring Christ. And in his life, we see the great blessing of integrity. Integrity can be defined as the quality of being honest. Moral uprightness, truth. It's the state of being whole and undivided. I like the old... Um, Definition of integrity, it's when the, when the tongue in your shoes goes in the same direction as the tongue in your mouth. That this is integrity. That one of my most favorite verses all of scripture is in Psalm 78, verse 72. It talks about David and it talks about his leadership. It says, with upright heart, other translations say with integrity of heart. With integrity of heart, he shepherded them and he guided them with his skillful hand. That regardless of what your, your occupation is, and there's all kinds of occupations, that the longevity and the success that you experience are going to be directly connected and hinged to integrity and character. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, it talks about the, the, the qualifications of, of overseers. And pretty much every single one of them talk about character. And so character is important to the heart of God. And so we must ask the question, does truth and integrity mark our lives? Does truth and integrity mark our marriages? Does truth and integrity mark our parenting? Proverbs 27 says, the righteous who walk in his integrity, his children are blessed after him. And so it's this idea that our character and our integrity who we are when no one else is looking, that, that this has a ripple effect. That it doesn't just impact us and impact our lives. It impacts those who are closest to us, those whom we love, whom we care for. Does, does integrity and truth mark our finances? Does integrity and truth mark our relationships? Does truth and integrity mark our work? There was some uh, one research poll I saw where it said, it was right at 69 point something, something percent, but basically seven out of 10, every 10 people in the workplace um, admitted to a lack of integrity in their work, whether it was fear based. I don't want to lose my job 
Or whether it was like self-preservation. I, I want to, um, you know, I, I want to make myself look better or my record look better, whatever, so I can maybe get that job or promotion. But whatever it is, there's this temptation to embellish or to bend or to stretch or to flatter or to fabricate. But here we see and know that there is great blessing in integrity. But in this text, we also see this, the pendulum swing and we see that there is a great cost of, of deception. The great cost of deception. Chapter 5, verse 1. The Bible says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. I have no doubt in my mind Ananias and Sapphira are believers that they have placed their faith and trust in Christ. They are a part of the local church there. But just like us, they are unfinished people. And they have struggles too. And they have insecurities too. And they have temptations too. And that no doubt, they are taking note of Barnabas and his gift. And they are seeing the affirmation that Barnabas is getting. They're seeing the recognition maybe that Barnabas is getting. They see he got a really great nickname and they want a nickname too. Like they, they want in on that. And so, so, so they see all this happening. And so they're going to begin a, 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 a decision-making process that's going to make itself outward. And we see that in verse, uh, or excuse me, we're going to see that in the verses to come. But we are reminded Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And so what we're going to see is a sad story. And maybe you're familiar with this story. If you are and you know where we're headed, you may be like, I would never do that. I would never, ever do that. Or if you're not familiar with the story, we're going to get into it. Is that I would never do that. I want us to be encouraged. This is encouragement. 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says in verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. In other words, nobody, nobody, or I'll say this, everybody has the susceptibility and the potential to make mistakes. And so he says this, verse 13, No temptation is overtaking you, that is not common to man. God is faithful. Amen. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation. He will also provide the way of escape. That you may be able to endure it. Ananias and Sapphira. Holy Spirit. Red flags. And they just barge right through them. They barrel right by them. In verse 2 of Acts chapter 5, the Bible says, And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? In other words, they sold the land, but the money they gave and the money they say they gave doesn't match up. A lack of integrity 
will cost you more than you want to pay. Look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? And while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. I mentioned this just a minute ago, but I want to reiterate what we're reading about is not about a dollar amount. It is about deception of the heart. It's about the heart. The early church gave, they gave sacrificially, they gave generously. This was their response to the gospel. This was their response, how God lavished his love and grace on them, but they gave willingly. This is important. What did, what did Paul instruct us? He's like, listen, God loves a cheerful giver. Not one that, that's under compulsion, like kind of twist your arm. Like, no, like God, God loves joyful givers. And so here they are. They gave willingly this early church hearts compelled by the love of Christ. Barnabas, this heart saturated with the love of Christ. There's a need. He wants to meet that need. Ananias. His heart saturated with a different motive. That this gift was never about the people. The gift was about himself. And I don't want us to miss the connection. The act of this deception was not against the people. Though the people were certainly affected. It was against God himself. And we're encouraged. Truth will always be revealed. It will always be revealed. It, it sometimes happens sooner than later, but truth is always revealed. And so as we see this text and what they're walking through this morning, that we are reminded that one of the greatest discoveries a believer can make is that we are responsible to the Lord. I went, uh, I was a brand new dad back in the day and I, I saw a man who uh, I just really saw how he lived his life and how he led his family and, and I need all the help I can get. Anybody like me? I mean, you just, you just need, you need help, you need guidance, you need uh, uh, mentorship. And so I reached out to, uh, to Dr. Jerry Haig was his name and I met him for lunch and I said, man, I'm a brand new daddy. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> can you just speak into me? I'm just going to sponge, like say whatever. And he said, Jared, he's like, here's one thing that I would tell you. He said, as early on as we could, we tried to teach our kids that they had a responsibility to the Lord. Like, yes, they honor mom and dad because that honors the Lord. That there's a responsibility to the Lord. If you think about the Old Testament story, Joseph and Potiphar's wife, Joseph sold into slavery. He's in Potiphar's house. He's managing that household. Potiphar's wife, the Bible says, day after day, sought to seduce him, trying to have an affair with him. And Joseph said this in Genesis 39, 39. How can I do this great wickedness against God? David and Bathsheba, maybe you're familiar with the story, but Bathsheba and David commit an adulterous relationship. Psalm 51 is the cry of David's heart once he's been confronted with this in his life. And here's what he says. He says, against you. So he's praying to God, against you and you only have I sinned. 
And so this wasn't about the people, and this wasn't about a dollar amount, and this isn't what's going on right here. This is about your relationship with the Lord. And so even in this text here, we see, we see the Trinity. We see uh, God revealing Himself in two persons. God is one God, reveals Himself in three persons. He says in verse 3, you lied against the Holy Spirit. In verse 4, He says, you have not lied to man, but to God. This is what we see through Scripture. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word for God is Elohim. It is plural in meaning, singular in use. Verse 2, the very next verse of Genesis 1. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image. His sin, their sin, the deception was against the Lord. And in verse 5. Acts chapter 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and he breathed his last. Divine judgment. A lack of integrity will cost way more than you want to pay. The Bible goes on to say, And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men, so we got some young men in the house. The young men... They rose and they wrapped his body up and they carried him out and they buried him. You imagine going to church that day? And you go and it's, it's worship time and, and, and the different elements of the services are happening. And, and I guess there was this offering portion and, and here Ananias comes. And you know Ananias because you love him and Sapphira and and, and their brothers and their sisters, they're part of the family. And, and, and all of a sudden, you're not 100% sure maybe what's going on up front. But you just see Peter and them having a conversation. And the next thing you know, Ananias is dead. The story continues in verse 7. It says, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And I just want to pause right here. God always provides a way of escape. The rest of the story could have read so differently than how we're going to read it this morning. That yes, there are consequences to sinful action. Yes. But this could have been an opportunity to... I love the saying, whatever we uncover, God covers. That, that sin loses its power when it's brought into the light. And that this could have been an opportunity where, where this, this kind of darkness is brought to light. And, and, and there's, there's, there's ownership, there's, there's repentance, there's faith. There, yes, there's consequences, but as a family, we work through those things. We walk through those things together because we're a family and you work through and you rest in the forgiveness and the grace of God and you move forward with what he has for your life. But that is not what happened here. Ananias, or excuse me, Sapphira goes on to say, and she said, yes, for so much. And Peter said to her in verse nine, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord, behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet 
and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. We don't know any different in Scripture, but as far as we know, this is not only the first Christian funeral that we see in the New Testament, but it is followed just a couple hours later with the second Christian funeral of the New Testament. That in this Scripture we are challenged and we are reminded of the great blessing of integrity and we are reminded of the great cost of deception. We are reminded that character counts. God cares about our character. And He doesn't leave us out there to go about it on our own. But as believers, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us. We don't get it all right all the time, but His grace meets us there and helps us to respond right. And we move forward in His grace. But there's so much that's going on. There's so much that we can soak in from this text. But one of the things that I would say that we can see is that this wasn't an oops moment for Ananias and Sapphira. This wasn't like, oh, mistake, mistake. No, this was premeditated. Like this was decided between him and her before they ever got in the room there that they had decided to do this. And, and so what we're encouraged and even warned about is that the war for the mind, there is a battle for the mind, that there is a war that's going on inside before it ever makes its way outside. And that this is why the scriptures are so essential to our lives. That, that, that our minds must be renewed by the word of God. That we must be renewed by God's grace and God's truth and God's promises and God's word. That we would be wrapped up and saturated in His word. And so may we be encouraged this morning. That the battle, there is a real battle in the mind. And it is a war zone. But we saturate our minds and hearts with the word. We also see that their sin was motivated by pride. They wanted people to look. They wanted a nickname. They wanted affirmation just like this other person got affirmation. I mean, who doesn't want that? You know, they want that. They want that. And that's what drove. It could have been so different. It could have been them coming into worship. And it could have been, hey, Peter, you know, we just sold this property. And, you know, we, we, we want to give uh, to the mission of God here and give to the work. So we're going to give this. We're, not, we're, we're keeping this portion for, for ourselves, we have some needs. We have some things that we need to do. But, but hey, here's what we're given. And, and, and uh, if you see need, meet those needs. It, it could have been that, again, it's not about a dollar. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. As a pastoral staff, we're reading a book called Lead by Paul David Tripp. And, and it, it's, it's heavily focused on character. But one of the... the the kind of quotes from that book is that the most powerful and seductive idols are the ones that are easily Christianized. In other words, here's this good and right and godly thing, giving act of worship to the Lord on what God has lavishly laid on us, poured out on us. But yet, but yet it got twisted into something that was never, never intended to be. He goes on to say that it's time for us to confess that 
Personal ambition often moves and shapes our leadership more than the gospel. So God guard our minds. God guard our motives. But also that we would understand that our character and I, I want to heavily lean on the grace of God. This is not like self-help 101, do better people. This is about us not being able to do it on our own. And us desperately needing the grace of God and His Holy Spirit. But yet it's with, it's with His grace and His power that our character is actually a way we worship Him. It's a way we honor Him. Romans 12, Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable God, this is your spiritual worship. In Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is actually living a life of character integrity. That gives and even provides opportunity to be able to point others to God. That they see the way you lead your life. They see the way you walk and, and relate and, and, and serve and, and, and lead and all these different things. And, and what's different, what's different is the grace of God and the Holy Spirit's power. And so may we be encouraged. May we be encouraged. Believers, Ananias and Sapphira. Believers, part of the church connected. They were susceptible. They were susceptible. We're susceptible. But by God's grace, we live yielded to His Holy Spirit, yielded to His Word, and by His grace, we strive to honor Him well. And just an encouragement. May we not... Ignore the red flags of the Holy Spirit. May we be sensitive to whether it's the lack of peace or the discernment that God gives us that whatever this step is, whatever I'm thinking through, God, help me to honor you. Help me to honor you. And God will honor truth. He always does. He always does. And then the last thing I would say is it's possible that maybe you're here, maybe you're listening online and you've never had a you never had a relationship with God. You're living apart from a relationship. God has designed us for a relationship. We desperately need His grace. You probably heard the verse many times. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. We talk about God being a generous God. That He loved. For God so loved that He gave His Son. That Jesus Christ, the God-man, lived a perfect, sinless life. A life that we could never live. And He was crucified on a cross so that our sin could be dealt with. That God the Father pours out His wrath, the wrath we deserve, He pours it out on His Son. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is taken off the cross. His battered, bruised, and shattered body is placed in a tomb. And on the third day, He raises from the dead, giving victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I love what Jesus says. Because he says this, in a world that is there's a lot of false out there, there's a lot of lies out there, there's a lot of human philosophy out there. Jesus says this, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. 
No man comes to the Father except through me. His word says, and I love this about God. He says, the word says, it is impossible for God to lie. This is his character. And so the truth of the gospel comes to you. And it's the good news. It's the good news that Peter and John preached on the Temple Mount. It's the good news that thousands of people responded to. And it's the good news that comes to you today. And that is that God loves you so much that he made a way where there was no way. And that in his grace, we receive his acceptance in the beloved, his forgiveness of sin, the gift of his Holy Spirit, his presence living inside of us, this purpose that we live for him, which is way bigger than living for ourselves, and we spend forever and ever and ever and ever and ever with him. May we live yielded and sensitive to the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for uh, what, what I see in this text is a gracious reminder of your love. That Father, that, that for the believers here, God, for those of us who have had that time and place where we have acknowledged our sin, our need for a Savior, and we have placed our faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation, experiencing your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, God, that we, we realize that, that we are unfinished this side of eternity and that, God, we desperately need your grace. So I pray even now your Holy Spirit would shine your light in every crevice of our soul, our hearts, our minds laid bare before you. And we as a people would say, Heavenly Father, if there is any way in me that does not honor you, would you show us? And not only, as painful as it might be, but not only that you show us, but God, in your grace, we see the way of escape. There's always a way of escape. And Father, that when we own it, and when we repent of it, we bring it into the light. It loses its power. And yes, there may be consequence, but your grace is more than enough. Your grace, your mercy, your cleansing, your forgiving. God, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. May we live lives of character, not for us and not to get a raise, and not to to be a good example, to glorify you. That's why. So Father, I pray you work in our hearts. God, I pray for anybody who may be here who doesn't have a relationship with you, God. You've created us for relationship. You've created us for a relationship with you. It's an invitation. It's not forced, but God, it's an invitation for whosoever, for whosoever. I pray if there's anybody here that needs to begin that relationship with you, that they would do that today. So God, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your love and your care and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.